This is Shaco Artspeak. Hey, it's Shaco Artspeak. I'm Ryan. And I'm Gareth. And this is 30 Below, <laughs> our 30-minute episodes where we try our best to stay under 30 minutes. Or at least 90 seconds Yeah, longer. 90 seconds longer. Yeah, we broke. We already broke the rule in the second week, which is super <laughs> lame, and I'm sorry about that. It sucks. Um, yeah, so we've been having conversations, and other folks have been kicking around conversations. And, you know, sometimes it's fun to think about, like, how in the heck you got here as, like, an artist. Oh, yeah, you know, definitely. Like, yeah, like, what? And I, so... Uh, full confession, Gareth is prepared for this conversation more than I am because he can, he's a, he already has an idea of 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 like how to answer the question. Whereas <laughs> I struggle with these kinds of questions completely. So the question is, the question is posed is, uh, what's one thing in your life, object, scenario, whatever that really, really has impacted or had a massive influence on your creative practice? You know, so you're talking origins like all the way back. And I struggle with those kinds of questions. I, I have a hard time pinning it down. Gareth has told me that he he could. That's easy for him. He can <laughs> putting yeah. you on the spot. It's it's it is it's actually super easy. Um, yeah. And not as any sort of boast or whatever, but because um, one thing that's very true about me is I am uh, intensely a collector. Yeah. So um, I would not need an attic in my house if that weren't the case. Right. Almost everything in my attic is some kind of collection. Gotcha. They're in their own little spots. Yeah. And I mean, like. Just very, I just like collecting interesting objects. Um, always have my entire life. Um, I think my parents got kind of, they didn't really care for it as much right. when I was a kid because it was just accumulation of crap. Mm-hmm. But they had meaning and value to me because um, I've always enjoyed the designed world, um, the way, the choices that people make to do different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but whenever somebody asks, um, you know, trace back your kind of design uh, sensibility lineage, where does it kind of end, uh, back in time? The place that I always come back to is, uh, Warner brothers cartoons Hmm. always, but specifically the backgrounds, Mm -hmm. the backgrounds of Warner brother cartoons, Mm -hmm. um, the colors, the textures, the disregard or not disregard maybe, but the, uh, the not having a need for the registration, to actually line up. Mm-hmm. So you have misregistered things where the outline is not matching up with mm-hmm. the uh, with the uh, mountain in the background or the right. cactus or whatever else. Right. Um, but I just love the qualities of right. that. Um, that's one thing that's always kind of come through. So um, what that's turned into is I've always had an affinity for screen printing. Gotcha. So when my wife and I got married, we screen printed our own invitations um, on uh, craft paper uh, CD packaging. Mm-hmm. So we screen printed these and made a, uh, kind of a, an album of sorts mm-hmm. that we sent out to people as an invitation. And with that, I actually found that when we would misprint, I enjoyed those prints better than the ones that were technically perfect. Right. So when our lines were not quite matching up, there was a quality about it that showed that somebody did it, mm-hmm. that it wasn't stamped out by a mm-hmm. machine. Which, as I've gotten older, I've appreciated much more about those backgrounds of the Warner Brothers cartoons. So you can see the hand of the animators, yeah, the, the yeah, illustrators, yeah. the designers that were doing things, because it wasn't always perfect. Right. And that lack of perfection is is really appealing, um, especially as I went through you know these this communication design 
uh, background where everything was extremely clean, extremely mm-hmm. clear, extremely sterile, extremely mm-hmm. Joseph Mueller Brockman mm-hmm. Swiss. Mm-hmm. Um, it was nice to have those pieces that just kind of broke what was going on a little bit. Gotcha. I still don't know how to answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think also, you know, it turned into, um, you know, it, there's, like I said, I'm a collector, so there's a number of things that I can kind of point to. Like early Happy Meal toys were always really mm-hmm. cool. Like I remember there was like a, a, a pancake transformer thing. So it was like a pancake uh, packaging thing, and it turned into like a pterodactyl. Yeah. And so the idea of like you know you've de- you know you've departed from the question though, right, dude? Yeah, it I was mean, a single question. Yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. look at how about this? What if we do this? Because see, this this will help me. Okay, if this is our thirty below, which we're already digging into. Why don't we do a two part to this? Okay, let's do it. So why don't we do this one as a single, mm-hmm. and then maybe we do a follow up that's just uh, a little longer, a little more breath to it, and in it, we just put it in the category of where do you get your ideas from. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. So then there's a little overlap because I, mm-hmm. I just can't. Um, if we try to hunker down to one, yeah, I'm going to want to do what you're doing, which is your mind is it's already, so hard. Yeah, it, it's they're, so hard. They're not unconnected. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, no, no, uh, no. That's right. So, so then it's a question <laughs> of like what? Because I'm, I'm sitting there, and if I give my honest answer, it's a milieu that I didn't fully understand. What, what's that? I, I heard someone, I read a statistic that said that, um, oh gosh, where did I read this? It, it said that uh, what you read to your kids in the first several years of their mm-hmm. life is going to have almost the most influence over their life. Oh, like, wow. yeah. like in terms of like pop culture, you know, idea understanding, you know, mm-hmm. and, but there was like, they had put a lot of, supportive information to it. I just, I just glanced at it as, as a book I'm reading on pop culture. And, um, so it's interesting that we're talking about this. Cause I, I, like when I'm thinking about it, I mean, honestly, like my parents didn't read much to me, mm-hmm. but I was born in 75 and star Wars came out. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, anybody that knows me knows I love the color orange, but the first action figure I ever got was Luke Skywalker in an orange jumpsuit for the, Bingo. Yeah. And I, and like, so then my first skateboard that I bought was a Vision Gator. It was orange. Like I've been, mm. so the, in the, the singularity, the single point also, <clears throat> so for me, it's the milieu. It's, it's so lame. Cause I'm a, you know, I love, so I really love painting. That's why I said, Hey, let's do a second part to this because mm-hmm. I feel like there's two ways of answering this question. But if I just had to be brutally honest, it has to be Star Wars. Yeah. And it's embarrassing in a way, but it's the, um, it's the milieu. It's the milieu of Star Wars. So, uh, it's the, the, um, the shape of the ship. It's the, it's mm, the mm-hmm. ergonomics of the ship, the shape of the ships, the way they're designed. Right. Yeah. It's the, uh, distressed world. It's the painted backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been in that vein as well. So it's like the, the way a static, moment plays off a dynamic and you know somewhere in there you can perceive that one is fake and one is acted yeah like you know like you can see those slips Mm -hmm. but it actually becomes a way of inviting you into believing it because you know you're not going to lose yourself to it right you know so i i I think as a kid i mean i'm i'm analyzing backwards but as a kid just raleigh stated i love the way the i love the the stripes on the helmets Mm -hmm. um 
I still have that Luke Skywalker character on my desk. I have one locked away mm-hmm. that was mine. The one I still have. I have the spaceship still. Nice. The X-Wing um, fighter. But then Will Conley gave me one. He found it at the thrift store. So it stands on my desk. It's That's the awesome. same orange. It's, yeah. And it's like, it's the weirdest thing to be like that literally determined an aesthetic sensibility mm-hmm. that has like utterly influenced. I mean, I used to wear orange Allen Iversons with an orange puffy coat. Like I've, it's, that's a weird thought. Like I've basically been trying to be that action figure ever since I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah, totally. <clears throat> well, I mean, and you know, when you were talking about the, the painted backgrounds and the, the, the shape of the ships Think about some of the reception of the re-releases mm-hmm. uh, with the additional CGI sort of stuff or yeah. whatever. Um, and, uh, hey, you know, Andy. <laughs> a lot of it was really poorly received. And the big critique behind it was this doesn't look like Star Wars. No. It wasn't that people were like, I don't want more content. Yeah. Or I don't want it to be more rich. They were saying, this looks yeah. too real. It looks too real. That's not Star Wars. Yeah. That's the mistake of the prequels. Mm-hmm. And that's the the attempt to rewrite or, or correct in the, these uh, sequels that just came out. You know, like that's what The Force Awakens tried to course correct. But I think, you Did know, if, if we're... Not talking about like storyline and stuff, yeah. stuff like that. Uh, one of the things that was done well is that critique, I think, was heard, and so they went back to some of the original special totally. effects. Yep, that's why I'm saying they course corrected. Better, it it, it yeah. became a much more like you had a, a more tangible and therefore more palatable feel to the movie. The most Star Wars, the most Star Wars thing. I'm I'm gonna be a little hyperbolic here, but the most Star Wars thing to come. I like I like the movie, so I'm not gonna go into that, but. The most Star Wars thing to come out of the last three was the trailer when Ray is on a speeder bike and it's super small on the desert and it's a plane line mm-hmm. and there's a crashed spaceship and then behind it is a uh, Star Destroyer mm-hmm. just crashed into the side and that was clearly a painted, a glass painting. Yeah, yeah. But it, it created the scale, the grandeur, and it created that dynamic static interplay between a physical world um, object in motion and a um, painted object that looked believable with light passing through. I mean, that moment, I was like, that's it. That's what Star Wars is. Like, it's something in the feel, the the aesthetic. We should probably do a discussion on aesthetics at some point, but... I mean, honestly, um, like, it, like thinking about this, uh, I think that's why some of those backgrounds for those cartoons for me were so appealing because there was something about them that... Um, checked a box almost, mm-hmm. but allowed for the foreground to always be the most important element happening. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even if those backgrounds were created for efficiency and reproducibility and things yeah. like that, um, the fact that I was never confused by the level of detail and where I should be looking, like even as a small kid, right? Yeah. Like kind of absorbing this sort of stuff. Right. You know, and there's something I think, even when I'm thinking about the backgrounds in Star Wars, that... When it's done well, I'm not having to focus on a million different things in the background. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, it, it it comes across much more as like a comic book or graphic novel would, mm-hmm. where it's very specific within the frame. Yeah, what I'm viewing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, it's just it's like that first Star Wars movie is the thing. Yeah, is the it's it's probably without me knowing it. I mean, it's like that, you know, and it's like Scooby Doo. 
Yeah. They're so uncool to talk. I mean, like, I mean, I still watch that stuff with my kids. So like, but like color palette, like the blue and orange. I mean, I, yeah. every time I make a painting, I want to make a blue and orange painting, whether I know it or not. And so, um, it's, it's your a, Fred period. Yeah. It's a heavy fixation. <laughs> So you go from Luke Skywalker to Fred, but um, it's so it's just there's something really, I mean, imperative about what I mean, I have no idea what my kids will say. Theirs is now now that I think about it, I'm like, oh, my gosh. But um, it's weird to get from that to to being like a abstract painter who, you know, it's an interesting leap. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have like I've talked about this before. So, I mean, it's, it's public. People know this. Um, you know, if you look at a lot of my work through that lens, you're, it like almost makes too much sense. Mm-hmm. And that's like a problem. <laughs> that's probably a problem with my work is like it, once you see that you're like, oh, you're making like abstract art that is fan art of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And like I just literally out of myself in the hardest way. I probably, <laughs> I'm probably really going to regret this. But not just that, though. I mean, I you know, I have like a I know what my influential bed is for largely speaking right right um and it's a cultivated bed where i became a little more aware and then you know but i've also become less bashful about the origins because they just are what they are and by the way you've got a generation now that's coming up with what their bedrock of and you know the source is oh yeah the source is very different i mean i i can't even anticipate what that's going to look like for somebody in the future, because like they're the, the, the way that, you know, the um, Instagram is influenced, like we've talked about or the internet or that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, just who knows, man. I mean, think about it. Like there's people that are growing up and Netflix is like their thing, like not a critique. I, I mean, right, I right. love Netflix just to say, it's really fascinating to think about like how different that is. Cause for me, I've said before, but like my, um, Step-grandfather worked for Rocketdyne. Rocketdyne built the engines for space shuttles. Mm-hmm. So he was an engineer. And um, before, you know, him, him and my grandmother split up, divorced. But he's the father of my uncles. And uh, so my, my family's all wonky. Like, my uncles are just a couple years. Couple, my grandma had my uncles when she was, like, 36. My mom was 18 having me. Mm-hmm. Like, so they are... They're my mom's brothers, half brothers, but they're actually cl- like they're like forty four. I'm forty four. My uncle's forty eight. My other uncle's fifty. Yeah. So we're real close in age. Right. So Star Wars comes out, and my grandfather has a hookups step grandfather. Yeah. And he is able to secure Star Wars in film and on a projector and plays it in my. I I see Star Wars for the first time in the late seventies on uh, in the living room on a wall through a projector. That's pretty amazing. So my first experience is everybody sitting around. So my first time seeing a, a movie that I'm conscious of as a yeah. little kid. I mean, I'm just a couple years old. And with the sound of the, you know, the projector playing and the yeah. flicker, all of that is it's, a, it's rolled into the experience. Right. So that was just a potent experience around a potent subject mm-hmm. that was paradigmatic for a society. So like uh, as a kid watching everyone else have a reaction to this movie that was groundbreaking probably did a lot to solidify its potency. You see what I'm saying? Like it was deposited into everybody else. And then that Christmas to get a toy, you know, the first toy I ever got, the first action figure put me in control of it. You see what I'm saying? Like it it put some, it, it, it like brought the story out of this world into my world. 
Now that is the potent ingredients. You had audience, you had action, you had projection, you had aesthetics, you had believable world, like the, the stroke of genius of the world being aged. Mm-hmm. Paradigm shift. You know, if you get like what's cra- crazy thought, go watch, um, uh, oh, what's it called? Um, with Burgess Meredith, um, Clash of the Titans. Yeah. Made the same time as Star Wars. Mm-hmm. They look like they were made in different decades. Oh, yeah. I like Clash of the Titans, but that's old school. That's the end of Harawazen's um, Harry How- Hauer. Oh, gosh, was it Hauerhausen? Harry Hauerhausen was the genius with uh, animatronics where he called it uh, Dynamation. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. so Dynamation. So, like, that's the apex. And then he, Star Wars came out the same time and it retired him. He was like, I'm done. Yeah. He was genius. I mean, he inspired Lucas and everybody else. And you can literally see this paradigm shift. So to like be alive in that moment and see everybody else's response to the paradigm shift and just be like utterly captivated. And then to have that brought into your own uh, hands. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was done. I mean, like that's, I'm talking about it now and I'm 44, you know? Yeah. So like, I mean, I think that got me into, that's the subconscious level of like the single source making you want to be a culture maker. Yeah. Inspiring you to be a culture maker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, with me, like, I didn't want to just watch those cartoons. Then I turned around, I wanted to make them. Yeah. And so, of course, the first thing I was doing was drawing little, you know, not funny comic strips. Yeah. Right. That I didn't understand, like, the mechanism of of jokes or why it was funny. So you just mimicked a few things that you saw from it. Yep. Um, But it was always, uh, I don't know, I always felt like I was more interested in the backgrounds, even when I was making things. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I wonder what that is. What do you think that is? You think it's because it points to a world or something or why do you think the backgrounds? Well, I've always enjoyed, I think I've always cared more about the context with the, with the conversation than maybe the, the meat of the conversation sometimes. Cause you know, the context is almost like how, how are you hearing? How are you seeing? Yeah. But as a kid, try to answer as a kid, as a kid. Yeah. Like from a kid's perspective though, there was, I think there was richness and and I think it was the richness that then turns into like what I was just saying that there, there was something that like, um, like, I don't know, I had friends that were really good at, like, they would, like, draw the X-Men. Yeah. And I'm like, the X-Men are great, but what are they in front of? Yeah. Like, what's the place they are? Yeah. Like, because, you know, a picture of Gambit right. is great, but, like, Gambit in a shopping mall or Gambit at a factory. Yeah. You know, now I've got a story. Yeah. I've got something that's actually going right. on. Like, right. there's some something about narrative, right, that doesn't have to be done in words. Mm-hmm. That I think is is part of it because it's like, you know, you you always had if you look at like the like Peanuts as a comic strip, there, there's not a whole lot of background happening mm-hmm. within that, but there's always a kind of uh, supporting actor of sorts with place. Yeah. So like you've got the wall that they're standing behind when they have their conversations. Mm-hmm. You've got the psychiatrist booth. Yeah. You've got. Snoopy's doghouse. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a context to it right. that makes more than just the character. Yeah. Well, I was, I mean, cause I, when I look at it, like similar to you, I, you know, I always kind of found myself paying attention to the backgrounds, but like, it, you know, from a kid's perspective, I think if I had to like guess the, the most embarrassing thing I could say is like, you ever, when you're a tiny little kid now, I, I just think I'm, I'm a different generation. You know, I mean, I'm just a hair older than you. So I don't know how these overlap, but there was a time with the big TV just sat square on the floor and you couldn't yeah. move it. Mm-hmm. I remember being a kid and trying to look inside the TV. Like yeah, just yeah. like, I'm, you know, when you're like four or five, you're like even six or seven, probably I was still like, 
you try to look up, well, you try to look at things. You're trying, yeah, yeah. You know, you're trying to look in the side of the TV, like mm-hmm. trying to look down. You're like, where does this go? So like at some point you're dealing directly with what they want you to deal with, but it's so direct that you start, maybe I just had, AD, I don't know, a little ADD, I don't know, but I start to look around things mm-hmm. because it was like, um, is it like, not like in a dissatisfied way, but, but you're like, is this it? Can I go here? Yeah. I want to go here. And so then you'd, you know, like I would watch Scooby-Doo and <clears throat> the, uh, you watch the backgrounds are like kind of, in the way you're talking about it, they're kind of actually like in a way kind of intentionally crappy oh, yeah, paintings, yeah. like they're big totally. brush strokes. Uh-huh. But then I remember, you know, but they're being contextualized as a, as a world. So then you're like, I kind of like, I want to go in that world. Mm-hmm. You know, just from a kid's perspective, you're like, yo, where's that desert go, Star Wars? Like, where's that go? You know? And so then you keep looking past the event mm-hmm. while being excited about the event itself. And I think that probably is some kind of core human thing about us that, you know, I would talk about some other time, but the elusivity of things like that, that there's what's eminent and then there's what it alludes to, mm-hmm. you know? And I think even as kids, we're probably, we're, we're wired to live in that tension. And yeah. so we start noticing the background of things because it, it, it escapes to the sense that there's more there, whether it's simplified or whether it's nuanceified we may gravitate, but nonetheless, we're kind of like, you know, like we're like, we're being sucked in. Like there's another world here. Oh yeah. Um, and, and that doesn't happen just with the character. You know what I mean? Like this, like they're, they're all interconnected. There's a support that's going on there. Um, and so, you know, it's, I think of like the Warner brothers cartoons, like the standalone kind of Bugs Bunny and Tweety sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then the movies that they were making in the, in the eighties. Yeah. And the movies always weirded me out so much. Yeah. Like even today I have a uncomfortable They're overly time. mannered. Well, they're overly mannered, but also they're throwing together a lot of disjunct things that makes it feel uncomfortable because all I ever knew was like, you know, Bugs Bunny, maybe Daffy and Elmer Fudd, mm-hmm. you know, over here. But then you start having them interact then with like Tweety yeah, Porky and like Pig. Porky Pig and you're just like, ooh, ooh Yeah. I understand that you're in the same general. Dude, they were ahead of Marvel, man. They were yeah. ahead of Disney. <laughs> it's the Warner Brothers Cinematic Universe yeah. right there. It's the. Uh, <laughs> it's nothing <laughs> new. Marvel, <laughs> Disney. You ain't new. <laughs> Warner Brothers Avengers. Uh, yeah. Five part series. Um, but those always kind of weirded me out. But also, um, I think the scale of them got mm. strange too. Um, but there was like a, a more of a polish to them. So they looked different. Mm. So um, you weren't kind of mass producing a background that could be reused over and over again, but you actually had a particular project. Mm-hmm. And so some of the qualities I really loved at the standalone cartoons got lost in like the feature films. Yeah. Um, because I did like the, it was the hint at uh, a world, like mm-hmm. you're saying, that kind of drew me in, I think, when I look back at it. Um, but then, you know, but still mostly it really was just the, uh, Here's here's a a human touch that is visibly. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. Do you think? I mean, what? This is probably a converse. This is also just like, I'm, yeah, try to discipline myself. But I mean, what's interesting about thinking about this? If you try to really put yourself, it's hard to do. It's hard. You can't. It's hard to go back into clothes you can't fit into anymore. It's hard to get yeah. back into the skull size. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to really meaningfully go back and be a kid. You just can't. It's really hard to do. So, but it's worth trying just because you want to know what the effect was in the work mm-hmm. that you're, you were observing or experiencing and it, cause it was shaping you. Yeah. And so one of the things that I, I guess stands out to me in both 
our kind of origin answer is the evidence of human touch. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that, I guess that's like a really big topic, but I, I wonder like that never goes away. Right. You know what I mean, like, I don't know. What, I don't know what kind of point I'm trying to make, but I do think a lot of artists ebb and flow, you know, from, from like a, you know, painter standpoint, like that's mm-hmm. the thing, you know, like the, you could see, um, if you took Velasquez and you took uh, Rembrandt, Velasquez was trying to eliminate his touch. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he wanted, he wanted it to seem like an independent world. Um, there was an independence to it. And, uh, you know, Rembrandt was like creating this independent world and imbuing it with his touch at the same time. And there are two different stylistic choices. There's formal choices. Both painters are, you know, off the chain, but amazing. But, um, you've seen that kind of, I've seen that at least in the content in, in art play itself out in ebb and flow, even in, even in a given artist practice over time. And yeah, just that, um, is, you know, is the evidence of human touch. Like, what is that? You know, like, I don't know, like, why is that important? But, and why I say that is like, why is that important? We could talk about it right now, but how, like, how is it that it, it's so important that it can impact a kid that doesn't have the ability to talk about it or think about it? You yeah. see what I'm saying? Like, that's interesting to me. Well, I know, like, um, you know, kind of going back to try to be the kid, um, like you're saying, one of the things is I, I, I never watched these cartoons and then felt like I couldn't do it myself. Mm-hmm. You know, interesting, and, and I think that there's that's, that's there's something extremely approachable about seeing a human hand in mm. the work, mm. um, because like, like literally a hand just breaking in. Yeah, which, no, which okay. I mean, there are some <laughs> there fantastic some, animators that have done that that I totally. think is great. But um, yeah, the uh, <laughs> um, because some of my favorite Warner Brothers cartoons were actually the ones where the artist is breaking the fourth yeah, wall. Yeah, totally. Like your, with your Daffy mind Duck, is blown. dude, it's yeah. amazing. Erasing his beak yeah. and things like that, That's putting it on backwards. Hilariously, like just to create continuity. Like, I mean, Philip Gusson's one of my favorite painters. Heavily yes. responsive to cartoon imagery, mm-hmm. but also high level abstract painting and Rembrandt's touch, all of that. And he's got his, he's got, he's got paintings where a hand's breaking out of nowhere mm-hmm. and constructing the world within the painting. Yeah, and I think yeah. that, you know, we've talked about this in ways like, you know, things that are generative. Yeah. And I think that the Warner Brothers cartoons in, in like the, the most basic way yeah. were generative in that way for me because I could then go and draw yeah. the characters, draw other things, and they, they kind of made me want to do something. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I were, you know, if I were watching something that was completely computer-generated I don't know that I would have that same feeling as a kid mm-hmm. because it feels a, there, there's a there's a distance mm-hmm. that I wouldn't be able to like go back to my bedroom yeah and like walk across mm-hmm. to get to the thing. Well, it's interesting. I think it's going to be interesting to see if this is a part of our psyche as people change in mm-hmm. when it comes to things like VR. Like, will human touch mm-hmm. find its way into VR? Maybe it already has, and I, I'm just not participating enough to know. But it's it you know in a non-judgmental way like. I'd be curious to know, like, it, it seems like as far as we go, human touch is always somehow present, but it, it, do, it does seem like there's this potential that that will go away. Um, and, uh, um, it, it, it could be, I don't know, you know, it really could be. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, this, I've always wanted to do a star Wars episode. Just one, this gets you close one right? off. This gets, a, at least gets us talking about it for two seconds, I suppose. <laughs> but um, but I, I would say I mean I don't know we gotta probably gotta close it up but um, 
you know, I'd love to hear what people sort of, if they can hold themselves to a single source mm. that they identify as having a real influence on them. Yeah. You know, it could be, could be positive, negative. I mean, it could be circumstantial. Right. But, um, I'd love to hear those. So if you're interested in sharing that story, uh, post it on Instagram, kick, kick a answer on your, your IG story yeah, and then real. tag us, send it to us and we'll post it on our Instagram and we'll compile up stories. I'd love to get a run of your, your stories. I'd love to see what your source is and let's see, let's see what kind of overlap there is in our listeners. I think it'd be really interesting. Um, so if you like, uh, tag us, make a story on Instagram and we'll uh, add it to our story and we'll we'll all link up. Yeah, sounds perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much uh, for tuning in again for 30 Below. Um, we'll catch you next time. We made it. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottom.